0: Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Really finished with huh? Bible Chapter 30, Description by Lord Kapila of Adverse Fruit Activity, Text 7. This is a very heavy chapter, so we're getting very purified. Hare Krishna, indeed. Sandathyamana. Yamana Sarvanga, udvahanarthana Karoti nam karothi karapi avirtham avirtham mudho mudha durthami vidrani durashayaha Karutya viritam mutho durithane durashaya sandhya manas sarvanga krotya viritam mudho krotya viritam mudho Durittani Tura Shaya Sans evil-minded. Translation by Sri Prabhupada. Although he is always burning with anxiety, such a fool always performs all kinds of mischievous activities with a hope which is never to be fulfilled in order to maintain his so-called family and society. Please repeat. Although Although he is always burning with anxiety, such a fool Always performs, all kinds of mischievous activities. always performs all kinds of mischievous activities with a hope, hope which, is never to be which is never to be fulfilled in order to maintain, maintain his so-called, so-called family and society. So this verse is referring to such a fool. Can someone, can you have the mic ready? I'd like to, before we get into it, the perp word, we should make sure we're all on the same page, because this is relative to the last few verses. So what what kind of fool? Who are we talking about here? Yes. A materialistic fool? Materialistic person, yeah. Anything else? One who is trying to gain satisfaction through the seven items that were described in the previous verse. Mm. Spouse, children, a place, vehicles or animals, those kinds of things. Good. Anything else? That's good, that's good. That's a pretty good picture. Somebody, the previous verses talk about the materialist who doesn't know that everything that they're laboring for is actually going to be taken away by the time factor. They don't know that everything, relationship to their body, is impermanent. They're deeply attached to whatever happiness is available in whatever species they happen to be in. And they're never averse to that happiness, which is available. And they're very little inclined to cast off their own body, even when in health. And they think themselves quite perfect in that situation, whatever it may be. Such a fool, this verse says, performs all kinds of mischievous activities with the hope which is never to be fulfilled in order to maintain his so-called family and society, Srila purport, Srila Prabhupada It is said that it is easier to maintain a great empire than to maintain a small family, especially in these days, when the influence of Kali Yuga is so strong that everyone is harassed and full of anxieties because of accepting the false presentation of Maya's family. The family we maintain is created by Maya, It is the perverted reflection of the family in Krishnaloka. In Krishna-loka, there are also family, friends, society, father and mother. Everything is there, but they are eternal. Here, as we change bodies, our family relationships also change. Sometimes, we are in a family of human beings. Sometimes, in a family of demagogues. Sometimes, a family of cats. And sometimes, a family of dogs. Family, society, and friendship are flickering, and so they are called asat. It is said that as long as we are attached to this asat, temporary, non-existing society and family, we are always full of anxieties. The materialists do not know that the family, society, and friendship here in this material world are only shadows, and thus they become attached. Naturally, their hearts are always burning. But in spite of all inconvenience, they still work to maintain such false families because they have no information of the real family association with Krishna. Om Gana Taneva Dasya Gyanam Jana Shala Kaya Chakshur Militam Yena Das Maheshwari Veena Maheshwari Chaitanya Mano Pishram Stabita Yena Pruthre Swami Gurupada Ma Phiyang Dada After my respectful obeisances unto all of I, Shana, the Vaishnava duties of the Lord. Including all of you, we're just like desire trees, can fulfill the desires of everybody and we're full of compassion for all the fallen conditioned souls like me. Jai Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Vasadi Gaudapakta Vrindam Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, 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 Hare 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 Rama, Hare Rama, 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 Hare 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 Krishna. If you'll all please indulge me and give me your blessings so that we can explore this topic. Although I am definitely still in the category of being... uh, I need to be preached to by the Bhagavatam. I'm I'm subject to these forces of material nature still in order to purify myself. Um, And for the sake of everybody, we'll explore this topic a little bit more. Certainly Kapiladev is not glossing over this. This chapter is... That's why it's entitled Description of Adverse Fruit of Activities. It's been really dealing with this topic over and over again for I guess it was 40 verses. It doesn't really take a break from that. Because we can't afford to take a break from that. We means conditioned souls. This is one of the principles of the Bhagavatam, which I think Nithabharu brought out in his class too, is that it's uh it's very real with us. It doesn't want to give us a very safe message. It's not about holding a hand and saying that everything is okay when in fact there's still work to do. It's giving us an insight into the forces that are at work around us. For example, as an analogy, we could say we live in a world right now where advertisements are more or less all-pervading. In the developed world, which certainly Denver, Colorado 2019 is very much the developed world. Advertisements are really all-pervading. There are billboards everywhere. There is visual and audio media all the time, everywhere. Whether one wants it or not, if one wants it, you get as, as much as you can actually imagine and much more. And within all the, that media, uh, it's more or less operating under the principle of being uh, supported by paid-for advertisements. And that works as a business model for advertising companies because people are actually subject to that because they can't get away from it and because since they can't get away from it they are affected by it whether they want to believe it or not Um, the idea that we're not affected by advertisements this is kind of like a persistent myth oh advertisements commercials that's for other people i'm not affected by that almost everybody thinks that way about themselves and almost everybody is wrong. The, I say almost because a liberated soul would fall outside of that. They would not be affected by the sound vibrations that are coming, the visual medium. Because they're so fixed in Krishna Conscience. That is actually the standard to not be affected by advertisements. Everyone else, forget about it. You, you, that's why they make money. That's why they can pay the billions of dollars necessary to create satellite radio and antennas. And, Television audit and this and that, movies and streaming, because people will be affected by the images and sounds that they get. So they'll be induced to actually buy things they may or may not need from certain companies. So we may not want to believe that these principles of attachment to the material world, of forgetting our, our, our actual eternal identity, of becoming so absorbed in whatever is directly in front of us right now in our current life situation that we forget about Krishna. We may not believe that applies to us, but it does. I'm speaking on behalf of conditioned souls. Anybody who's a liberated soul, they, 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 don't, they don't have to listen to this. That's okay. They can go back to, to chanting Hare Krishna and, and, and pray for the rest of us. But Bhagavatam is actually giving us a very, very straight message that it's the nature of the conditioned soul to try and carve out something for themselves separate from Krishna, and that's what materialistic family life is. It's a very uh, developed, um, very all-encompassing, engaging expression of the false ego. So, just a little bit of overview. You know, in the material world, the three modes of nature have their different combinations. So, in the mode of ignorance. Family life, such as it is, uh, well, let's take some reflections. What would that look like? What would family life look like? Or family attachments, or family structures, and the mode of ignorance? Any thoughts on that? Mother Nidra.
1: would be, uh, well, just one scenario might be. uh, dysfunction, abuse, and um, dysfunction, abuse. Yeah, and just uh, very. Uh, the relationships are, uh, of course, not based on God consciousness, but um, based on uh, you know just trying to enjoy the lower modes, and, and a lot of times you know just be intoxicated.
0: Yeah. Anyone else on? family life in the mode
2: of ignorance? I was thinking how some people, they're so attached to family that they won't leave their physical proximity at all. Like, maybe they want to live somewhere else, but you know they, they're like, well, oh, my family's here, so I can't go anywhere else, you know? They feel like they're bound, that they can't travel mm-hmm. or go anywhere else their
0: whole life. Interesting. I would actually claim that's a little bit higher. <laughs> In the mode of ignorance, that's more kind of passionate, although certainly that's kind of what we're talking about here, kind of deep attachment. In the mode of ignorance, the structure actually falls apart. There really is no more structure anymore, because uh, as Mother Nidra pointed out, you know, whatever kind of desires we have, we just act on them. So if somebody wants some companionship, uh, or they want some physical expression of affection, some kind of sexual experience, whatever it may be, Whatever happens across the mind, if they can actually even get past their own inertia, they'll go after it and they won't take any responsibility for it at all. Therefore, um, the hard work that's necessary to actually maintain a family and get to the point of actually being attached to a family structure, that can't even happen because they're not willing to do it. There's irresponsibility. For example, uh, I was hearing from devotees who share Krishna consciousness in Australia and New Zealand. And at least in Australia they were saying that, and this is, at least this was the case until a few years ago when I heard this, I don't see why it would have changed other than through the preaching of the devotees. But it was very much the case that the, the, the understanding in Australian culture is that marriage is a joke. It's actually like not really even considered um, the, the standard way for human beings to live. It's just very, very commonplace for persons in the 20s and 30s to live together for as long as it's convenient. And maybe they have kids together, maybe they don't, and just do whatever they feel like. And that's the way the culture has moved at that time and place. So that's an expression of the mode of ignorance, actually. It's very short-sighted. It's very short-sighted. It avoids responsibility as much as possible. Prabhupada would call this actually animal life. It's not actually human life. If you notice, the difference between, one of the differences between humans and animals is that animals are forced to be responsible for their children. Nobody has to do... Uh, you know, there's no, there's no alimony proceedings. There's no um, test to see who the father is. There's no like, pretty please, will you come and you know, put food on the table? No, as soon as it's the right time of year, you want to have children, and then you have the children, and then you do whatever you have to do. Because you actually don't have a whole lot of free will in the matter. It's what they call instinct, which means the super soul guys. Human beings who don't actually have that instinct, have the choice to be responsible or not. If they choose not to, that's an expression of ignorance. So that's society in ignorance, which is kind of really where everything's going right now. In passion, actually, you start to create structures, and you get deep attachment. Bhagavad Gita explains, 14.7, the mode of passion is born of unlimited desires and longings, was son of Kunti, and because of this, the embodied living entity is bound to material fruit of actions. So in the Purport, The mode of passion is characterized by the attraction between man and woman. Woman has attraction for man, man has attraction for woman. This is called the mode of passion. And when the mode of passion is increased, one develops the hankering for material enjoyment. He wants to enjoy sense gratification. For sense gratification, a man in the mode of passion wants some honor in society or in the nation, and he wants to have a happy family with nice children, wife, and house. These are the products of the mode of passion. As long as one is hankering after these things, he has to work very hard. The whole material world is more or less in the mode of passion. Modern civilization is considered to be advanced in the standard of the mode of passion. What this means is that the ideal that's promoted right now in modern society is the mode of passion. That as long as you're not in this ignorant mode of avoiding responsibility, you, you create and invest in structures of stability then no one's going to question you what your motives are. No one's going to question you about how attached you are to your family for their own sake. No one is going to look too closely and see what kind of sins you're doing, as this verse is versus sin, in the name of protecting your family. And no one is really going to get in your face about, are you doing it out a duty or personal greed? No, because you're, you're there, you're already perfect. That is the standard that mature society is promoting. Therefore, Prophet says mature society is very much the standard of, of mode of passion. Because there's those who are doing that bad, they are responsible. And those who aren't, they're irresponsible. That's passion and ignorance. So, can someone speak to us a little bit about what this would look like in the mode of goodness? Family life, family structures. Yes, Margaret. Um, I, you know, as you're speaking, thank you for your trust, right? Um
3: I'm thinking about all the devotee families that I'm engaged with here mm-hmm. at the temple. And so how is, you know, it's, it's complex to me, right? I don't know why, because we, each family has responsibilities. they they do devotional service. They're,
0: well, just before you, yeah. um, I just want to continue this training. I'm actually not done the classes, it's only 828. I wanted to go through these three modes. And make some more points, and then we can take questions, so okay. if you can hold, if, it, if that's okay. Sure. Does anyone have any reflections on, on mode of goodness? <clears throat> so in the mode of goodness, uh, each member of the family uh, performs his or her duty uh, without attachment for the sake of doing the duty. Uh, it's centered in God consciousness. Um, and... They're following the, the dicta of Scripture. Right. If not God-consciousness, at least duty-consciousness, which is coming from Scripture. It may not be directly personal, but it may be that they're attached to that form. So we can we can contrast that with, like, Uddeva Sandesh's vision of, of very attached persons, um, that the duty is performed, actually, the same way. And ignorance, you don't do your duty. You just ignore it. You, you say you don't have a duty. Uh, you lie about it you cheat, you do whatever you have to do to neglect it in passion you do it, you actually work very hard for it, but you do it for yourself and in goodness you, you do it, but you do it as a, as a, because it's the right thing to do uh, for something greater than oneself so the tendency the, the trend is that as one goes higher and higher within these modes of nature just within the modes, not even getting the transcendence yet uh, one's own uh, how should I put it The, the, the beneficiary, the person who's actually benefiting from activities or, or the group of persons becomes wider and wider, bigger and bigger. In the mode of ignorance, it's really just the senses, just the immediate pushings of the senses. It's not even like, well, I want to join my senses next year, so I guess I should probably get a job so I can also afford to eat next year. No, I just want to eat now, so I'll eat now. It's very, very short term. And then mode of passion, The beneficiaries are one's own body, the bodies of other persons that they call their family, and other persons they call their society, uh, and friends and so forth, and political affiliates and like that. So it's a little bit wider. And the mode of goodness actually, uh, it's actually beneficial for a lot of other people too, because when persons act outside of just being deeply attached, they free themselves up from a lot of trouble, and they can actually be of service to others. For example, Prabhupada gives the, the example that grahasta life in traditional varnashram, whether one is you know, God conscious or not, just if they're duty conscious, as soon as you're finished cooking, you go outside and you say, is anybody hungry? Would anybody like anything to eat? And somebody may come down the street and he's a village fool and no one likes him. Because you asked, if he's hungry, you feed him. That's duty, it's a duty. It's actually purifying for you to try and serve them instead of saying, we're not even saying, but thinking and having implied that I've worked for this, it's mine, and or at least mine and my family's and no one else's. This is enforced charity. It's the highest thing to do. So somebody in the mode of goodness can do like this. And in fact, after a while, they want to do like this. They develop a taste for it. A taste for doing things for others. For you know, They'll start to adopt children that aren't theirs. They'll be very caring toward plants and animals in a way that other people aren't. Because the heart is becoming softened. At the highest levels, this actually is connected to Krishna because they start to see that there's, there's an aspect of God within everybody. And as Mithai was saying, it's, it's rooted in God consciousness. They do these things without attachment because that's what Krishna asked them to do. So the Bhagavatam here is speaking to those who are still affected by the modes of material nature in the material world, which means that passion and ignorance are there. As long as one is not actually practicing devotional service and therefore is not free from the modes of nature, Even if they're primarily in the mode of goodness, it's to be understood that passion and ignorance will come up. That's the nature of the world. They're always coming up. They're one after another passion, ignorance, and goodness are coming and going. Or to speak of persons like all of us who are born into a world which is very much aspiring for passion, putting passion on a pedestal and saying, that's really where it's at, ignoring goodness and saying, if I could just get past ignorance, then I'll be really successful. So for us, definitely we're affected by the modes of nature. So Bhagavatam is pointing out here, when that happens, when we're in that place of, of actually passion, this is talking about a person who maintains or tries to maintain their family, the results of that are actually described. They burn with anxiety. Sarvanga means in all their limbs. They're burning with anxiety. Everything about their life is consumed with anxiety. This is one of the results of the mode of passion. It creates longing, it creates frustration and anxiety, actually. Uh, it seems like a good idea at the time to engage in something in the mode of passion. Bhagavad Gita says that uh, happiness in the mode of passion seems like nectar at first. Hmm. like nectar. At first seems like a really good idea. And then it seems like poison at the end. And then, so, similarly, the impetus to actually, oh, I'll just protect these these people who happen to be in my mind, my family, and then I'll be happy from that. That deep investment of one's personal energy into that, exclusive of a higher sense of duty, what to speak of God, consciousness, that creates tremendous anxiety. It creates tremendous anxiety because it can't be successful. You can't actually be happy from that. Krishna knows that. Anybody in the of Goodness knows that even. That if you if you think, if one thinks, well, all of my desires might would be fulfilled if I get the perfect partner. Perfect children, nice house. Then, this is coming from the soul, all their deep desires for reciprocation, for rasa, that they're capable of with Krishna, the Supreme Person. They're pouring into some body, some idea. That must create tremendous frustration. There is no other way it can go. There's absolutely no other way it can go. We have in the Bhagavatam Chitra Ketu, very, very successful, very advanced personality. He maintained, what is it, millions of wives? He had millions of wives. And we can't even barely maintain one wife, the man of this age. He's from a different age. He had millions of wives, all of them at the same time. But he couldn't have a son, such was his karma. But he was very attached, so he needed a son. He thought he needed it. So he, he, he asked Narada Muni, when I mean, he had the association of Narada Muni, and he asked him for a son, you know, So this is deep attachment, you could ask for anything, so he got it, but it just created so much anxiety and suffering for him, he had to lose that son. When, when, when he had the benediction, he was told to him, you'll have a son, but he'll be the source of your happiness and your distress, and he said, no problem, I'll take it. Because the mind of a, of a person who's conditioned by passion is willing to overlook any kind of current or projected suffering further idea. They're deeply attached, deeply fixed on it. So he had a son, and it was with one wife, and so all the other millions of wives became jealous. After all these years, the kingdom now has an heir. There's a son. They don't have any children. They're now, in their minds, less. And of course, he's paying more attention to this wife now, so they started to become affected by the lower modes of nature themselves. They conspired. They actually committed infanticide. They murdered the baby. Out of, out of their own, this is an example too. When one actually performs activities to maintain their so-called family, they, they do sinful activities. So in the mode of ignorance, these women thought, well, we can't have children, so we should just kill this one. That's a very sinful act, obviously. And the kind of suffering he experienced when he, when he realized that his son was dead is indescribable. He actually passed out from it. He couldn't, he couldn't tolerate being conscious. Then he would come to and pass out again. This is a very, very intense, portrait of what happens in the mode of passion. So these these verses are talking about the kinds of things we can expect. Always be burning with anxiety. Always performing all kinds of mischievous activities. That as long as one is attached to the mode of passion, which means as long as one is attached to the idea that building some thing, some structure for my enjoyment is actually going to really satisfy me completely. They can't really be attached to duty. They can't actually be moral. In the long run, they can't be moral. This is why in society, for example, persons who are very, very, very motivated by making money, they They have to be regulated by chakras. With Vaishyas are not regulated like Kshatriyas, their natural propensity to gain and accumulate and protect capital, which is not a bad thing in and of itself. I mean, Prabhupada was very careful with every penny. But that natural tendency for those who are still very much in the mode of passion will not be tempered by Dharma, will not be directed by duty. It quickly becomes what we see now. We see in our society that there's a lot of Shudras ruled by us and Vaishyas, and there is no Dharma above the Vaishyas, so they make up their own Dharma. So the corporations that are supposed to be actually accumulating capital, that's their duty as corporations, to be successful financially, they do that at the expense of everyone's health, the environment, basic living wages, work conditions, anything. Anything one can get away with, one will try to get away with because they are deeply absorbed in their own sense of gain. This is the mode of passion. So we could just look out the window. Monsanto, any of these examples. What people do in the mode of passion is they commit mischievous activities, unless they are actually forced not to. So Bhagavatam is saying, expect this. Expect that this is part of the game. As soon as you get into this idea that you can be happy by creating a little niche in the world, a little nest. Take a little nest for yourself, and put all your hopes in that little nest, you're going to be full of anxiety, and you're going to become very sinful. Even if you don't want to be. Even if in your mind you think you're a good person and you want to be a good person. You will compromise and compromise and compromise until you don't recognize who you are anymore. That's the nature of the mode of passion. In order to maintain this so-called family and society. And in the purport, Srila Prabhupada chooses to focus on this point of so-called family. That family, society and friendship are flickering until they're called asat. Sat Sat means real, it means true, sat. Related word satyam, truth ananda. Sat means eternal also, because that which is eternal is in the highest sense actually real. And asat means the opposite of these things. Essentially unreal. Temporary. So when we hear asat, this word flickering is very good. Flickering means it, it's here, it's gone, you know? Just like we have this experience of Govardhan. Prabhupada talks about this too. Around Diwali, Kartik month, there is a certain breed of insects. They actually live for 24 hours. So in the morning, there's little baby insects, little flies, right? And they grow up, and they find their perfect partner. They go to school, they get their degrees, they go to Home Depot, they get a little house, and they have their kids. And by six, seven o'clock in the, in the evening, they're starting to get old. They're put from the retirement home, and then the floor is covered. By morning, the floor is covered. Like half an inch of dead insects. One generation, come and gone. So this is, a it's flickering. Their whole life, their whole material life, all the material things we're looking for, birth, growth, maintenance, production of, 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 uh, of, of children and other byproducts, dwindling and death. That's all there in 24, our 24 hours. For them, that's a full lifetime. It's just flickering, coming and going. So anything that's like that, anything that has a beginning and an end, from the highest perspective is asat. So the sages, the devotees, Krishna himself, he doesn't want us to focus on the asat. It's actually degrading and demeaning to focus on the asat at the expense of our sat nature, our eternal nature. Prabhupada says, it is said that as long as we are attached to this asat, temporary, non-existing society and family were always full of anxieties. So this is an expression of his compassion. Prabhupada doesn't want us to be always in anxieties. When one is free from this, they're attached to Krishna, it's actually very easy for them to see how others are bound, are full of anxieties. Just like we're practicing, we're, you know, for myself, maybe like sometimes a Madhya Madhikari on a good day, at least in Kanishadhikari, But even then, going outside, I can see how people are are in deep anxiety, because they don't do at least the basic practices that I, by some good fortune, had in my life. So the pure devotees are actually seeing much more. They're seeing all the different ways in which we're creating anxiety for ourselves, because of false attachment to this asat. And in the 10th canto of Srimad Bhagavatam, Brahma, after having his eyes open to Krishna's amazing qualities, and being completely fooled by Krishna, he prays to Krishna with folded hands, beautiful prayers, 14th chapter, 10th canto. And after those prayers, he says, you know, Krishna, as long as somebody is, can I get a 10th canto part two? I want to look up the verse. He says, as long as somebody is uh, attached to their wife and children, husband and home, these kinds of things, they remain foot shackles foot shackles. And the wording there is very relevant and interesting. This is as long as they're attached. we notice in Vrindavan, is there a brahmachari ashram in Vrindavan when Krishna was there? Was there a bunch of brahmacharis running around? Any sannyasis? Just off the top of your heads? Can you remember any Vasamuni's there across the Yamuna? do I see it. Anyone else? Can anyone think of any? Brahmacharis? Sannyasis? No everyone's married, or their kids. This is just like very simple village life. Let's see if we can find this verse, that would be miraculous. So, everyone has a husband or wife, everyone has a home, everyone's cooking in that home, they have children, all these things that the body time is saying, will make you, here we go, will make you attached. Will make you actually unable to practice spiritual life. But they're all the topmost devotees. Well, how does that work? The verse says, My dear Lord Krishna, this is one, sorry, 10, 14, 36. Stenas. My dear Lord Krishna, until people become your devotees, until they become your devotees, their material attachments and desires remain thieves, staina, thieves their homes remain prisons, and their affectionate feelings for their family members remain foot shackles, until they become devotees. And this is the last point, and the biggest point, and I think we'll take most of our reflections probably on this point, because it's very practical for us. That when one becomes a devotee, the practice of transforming one's life really begins, which includes one's relationship with family, home, children, and the rest. It's not that one is advised to externally change the form of their relationship, i.e., you know, renounce them. That's not actually what the Bhagavatam ever really says. But the nature of attachment changes from the inside out, actually. One becomes detached from the sense that these persons are in my life to satisfy my desire to be whatever I think I am in my imagination according to the modes of nature. And then one becomes more dutiful, and above that, one starts to actually serve them as devotees of Krishna. They're all devotees of Krishna. Krishna sent them to me to serve. So, in Vrindavan, everybody's like that. Everybody's centered their entire affection, all their experiences around Krishna, centered around Krishna, whether Krishna is their son or not. He is the darling of Vrindavan. Brajajana Anjana. He's the giver of pleasure to all the Brajajana. Everybody there considers Krishna their son, or their, their brother, their friend, their beloved, their master. Everybody is orbiting around Krishna. So the fact that they have families is Immaterial. It doesn't make a difference. Because, as we hear, when Krishna expands himself as the uh, cowherd boys and the calves, all the mother cows and all the mothers and fathers of all these other children got to actually feed and bathe and put to bed and embrace and hug Krishna in the form of their sons or in the form of their little cows. Because Krishna actually expanded directly into those forms, just looking like they were he was their son. And he did that because they, he knows how they love him. And they would all, the other 364 days of the year in that year, they would all serve him as much as they could, and they would also continue to serve their family, but he wanted to give special reciprocation. And he did, because he knew that he's the darling of Vrindavan, I mean, everybody loves him, and he's the soul of all, all, of all beings. So as devotees... We understand this, we don't become fanatics and start to never talk to our biological families again, and so forth, these kinds of um, immature understandings of how to apply these verses. Instead, we take Prabhupada's advice and we work on this principle of of attachment. You know, the living entity always has to be attached. So we try to become more and more attached to Krishna. And by doing that, the the foot shackles and prison houses of these things, which are there. You know, I'm a brahmachari, but I have you know, parents. And I mean, I even know sannyasis who have had to circumstantially take care of like, an alien mother. These things may be there, but the point is that the nature of the attachment changes. Queen Kunti actually prays to Krishna that please take away my attachment from my family members. She doesn't mean I want to shave my head and, and live in a forest. No. She's deeply attached to her children. But the point is, she wants to make sure that she doesn't fall into this trap that the body is warning us about. She can't fall in that trap. She's a pure devotee. But she's saying like this out of humility and for our instruction. I don't want to become somebody who just becomes satisfied with their family life and forgets about you. I want to see my children as your devotees. Her children are the us, so that's really easy. <laughs> I want to see... My own body and everyone around me in relationship to you. I don't want to ever forget that. That's her prayer. So that's that's our prayer too. and Our aspiration. So on that note, we'll take reflections, comments, questions. We'll start with Margaret because she's been waiting on her question for a while. Hare Krishna. Thank you for hearing. I actually, Nita answered my question. So. Giant. Yeah. What was it? What was it was regarding uh, family and the modes of um, the mode
3: of nature.
0: You
3: know. Um, I was thinking about you know how devotee families, um, you know their everyday lives and and so you know how is that different from I mean I know it's different meaning they're doing devotional service and but sometimes the daily life is there seems like there are attachments you know what I mean there are attachments to you know uh, children playing and. And games, and you know, being out there, and you know, and seeing all the messages that are out there. So, but yet, when I think about it, when I start to really um, look at the picture, I, I see sort of the beauty that comes out in the children of the devotional parents. You know, so that that sort of negates everything I was thinking about in the beginning. My question. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is is you know, discerning, you said asat, um, you know, does Krishna sometimes give us these things, the asat, you know, the, the struggles, in order for us to learn how to discern, how to change that, you know? Does he, is it just from outside, or is it, well, maya, you know? Is it, is it Krishna that says, I'm going to give you this struggle because I want you to understand, and I want you to look at this problem and see how you can solve it through me?
0: Hmm. There is no outside. It's always Krishna for everybody. Yeah. And the devotee who's advancing actually starts to suspect this. Krishna Is, is Krishna doing this? Yeah. Just like is it, you're asking, is this actually Krishna? It is, it's actually Krishna. This whole world is Krishna doing that for everybody. But only the devotees can start to see that. And the pure devotees, I mean, Krakapa talks about how, you know, when you're out there and the sun is shining down on you, you feel Krishna's embrace in that warmth. You know, the, the Bhagavad says you hear the bird songs, that's, that's the enchanting quality of Krishna. He's actually everywhere all the time. And this world of Asat is definitely Krishna's mercy on us. One of the meanings in the dictionary of Maya is mercy. He's giving us a taste of what it's like to forget him. And then he gives us a taste of what it's like to start to remember him. And then, as you pointed out, we have this responsibility then of, of trying to make that choice and become more discerning, more discriminating between which is temporary and what is eternal in a given moment, to see what's, what my highest good is. And sometimes you choose the best thing for us, and sometimes you don't. But that's also part of the process. And that's not to excuse making the wrong choice, but the point is that this whole uh, the, the options that are there, they're given by Krishna. Definitely. You should, you should absolutely be confident in that. He's, he's definitely conspiring to bring you out of this condition, and he's doing it in uh, in ways that maybe years from now we'll look back and say, wow, Krishna, I'm, I'm seeing like now how you, how you laid it all out for me. It was so subtle, so intelligent. He's so many steps ahead of us. Definitely, Bhagavatam is saying that. And the Acharya is saying that. He's leading us out. All right, Krishna. Comments, questions, reflections? functions? Yes, Dr. Brandon.
2: Sorry. And Mother, did you have your hand? You can go next. Doctor I just liked what you were saying about um, accumulating more wealth and items and thinking like, oh, once I get this, that'll make me happy. Once I get that, I'll be happy. Because mm-hmm. I used to think of like that for the longest time until recently. And um, a couple days ago, I, I was in a juice bar uh, down the street and uh, drinking my juice, chanting some rounds, and I see these uh, probably early 20s couple come in. And then they sit down and start talking. I can't uh, help but eavesdrop. And he starts talking about it like, oh, yeah, I'm in my uh, whatever year of college. And once I get out, i will be making six figures and everything will be good. And his girlfriend is like, well, don't you hate what you're studying right now? And he's like, yeah, but it's fine. If I can, uh, if I can stick with something I hate and, and get out alive. you know, that's like a, a, a markup. Uh, positivity or something, and I just, uh, I don't know, I felt for him a lot, and I wish I had like a little pamphlet at that moment, and be like, hey,
0: check this out. See, a lot of trouble. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, but uh, yeah, that's all I got. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's interesting, Prabhupada points out, I think we, we mentioned this in our class, that the nature of the mode of passion is to work very hard, work very hard. Uh, interesting phenomenon, when one comes to Krishna consciousness, one may start to uh, think, well, I've been working so hard for things that are assigned, so I'll just not work hard anymore. But that's actually not really what Christians asking us to do. He's asking us to not work hard for our personal maintenance. We should keep maintaining ourselves. We shouldn't completely neglect the body. That's also irresponsible. But, and this is what Bhagavan is saying, the reality is before we come to Krishna consciousness, we were putting way too much energy into taking care of our bodies and minds for their own sake. That's just the way it is. Unless we were totally ignorance, like lying on a sofa, not even getting up. Basically, if there's any passion at all, we were over-endeavoring for our bodies. So that passion that is there when we come to Krishna consciousness, we have to use for Krishna. We have to use for making I mean, Krishna's body look more and more beautiful, or Krishna be glorified more and more, or Krishna's name be sung out louder and louder, and the Brihat or whatever we can do. And that energy that he's putting into making six figures in a job he hates, I mean, Hare Krishna... That's a tremendous amount of, of drive and initiative and, and intelligence and focus that could be used for Krishna in any number of ways. And use it we must, as long as we have that drive, as long as we're not completely in goodness. If you're completely in goodness, you can retire to the banks of the Ganges and chant for the rest of your life, permission granted. Actually, not even then, because Prabhupada wants us to preach. But yeah, at least you're qualified to do that. But for those who have some passion, you've got to work. You've really got to work and you've got to do it for Krishna. So now we'll take from Mother Nidra. Any um,
1: reflections, questions? I'd like to bring up the foot shackles, and then uh, also Krishna as the darling of Raj. And so how do we... Um, well, I see that you're explaining that with affection to the Lord that we can become freed from shackles. The very th- same thing, affection can cause shackles or, um, you know, take them away. So, um, just like uh, Vasudeva, right, when he wanted to take Krishna, he's had so much affection for Krishna, and then he wants to take him to Nanda uh, Maharaj. So all the the shackles uh, fall fall off him when he leaves the prison. Uh, so, nice. anyway, so the, the shackles fall off for the devotees when they have a proper spiritual affection, but in the meantime, you know, um, like you're saying, we're still sometimes us affected by the mode. so we get um, maybe a little bit uh, confused how to, <laughs> you know, be devotees in a community and affectionate to Krishna and ourselves, but you know, not be, you know, shackled by the modes, but yet not to be shackled by, you know, not offering affection. Mm. So maybe you could say something
0: about that. So could you could you just restate the question?
1: Um, yeah, there's affection that's um, in the modes and then affection that's pure. Okay. So we are like for family kind of thing. Yeah, so, and for you know, Christian. So, For we're Krishna. trying to be pure in our affection. If we don't have that affection, then we're going to be like, having kind a of hard time in Krishna consciousness, right? Because we have to have that love. And so, we're trying to learn again you know, how to express that affection. So, maybe you could help us to do that.
0: For, so, specifically towards Krishna? No?
1: And then, meaning, and then everybody, family members, devotees, you know, But like, because we're trying to become Krishna conscious, then we can express that properly Mm. and, you know, not be bound by the modes. But it seems like it's a pretty tricky business.
0: It is tricky, for sure. It's tricky. So one thing is it's really important to hear as much as possible and regularly because by doing that we'll have the intelligence to discern what kind of attachment we have, what kind of affection we have. If it's affection, we talk about ignorance, passion, goodness, or if it's transcendental. And all are possible for devotees at the level of practice it's possible to have affection that's still in ignorance you know like kind of abusive relationships can still be there um, and then relationships based on personal gain relationships based on duty and relationships based on krishna's pleasure ultimately what we want, what we want to do is understand start to hear about it and really understand what krishna wants what his vision is for us what will make him happy And when we understand that, we have to try and put that into practice. So, the question that devotees have to ask themselves is, what would satisfy Krishna, right now in my life? What would satisfy Him, in terms of what I should do or not do? And then try to do that. And in doing that, of course, there's so much guidance that goes into that, introspection, and consultation, and, and study, and everything. But ultimately, when one does that in the long term, one starts to have some realization about what the experience is like of doing things for Krishna and expressing affection. Because, for example, Krishna wants us to be affectionate to our family because they're his parts and parcels and he doesn't want them to be neglected. 11 Canto says this. A person who is cultivating Krishna consciousness should be externally attached to their family members Because people generally need that. You know, children cannot be told, yeah, you know, you're just like another part of Krishna, and we're all just passing through, so no hug for you. You know, it doesn't, it's like, that's just, that's cold. And Bhagavatam goes out of its way to say, don't be cold. You know, meet people's needs, but internally be detached. Work on yourself. But externally, you have to also meet their needs. That's part of your dharma as a householder. So we have to hear that, we have to know that. We have to keep hearing that. And we have to also see how I may be like becoming more attached and not going to either extreme. So the hearing is there, the asking yourself, and Krishna, what does He want? What does He want from me? How to actually express affection? And the other thing that really helps me is to be around persons who are more advanced in Krishna consciousness and see how they express affection. When I'm around persons who are more advanced in Krishna consciousness, you know, I was just, uh, I was on Facebook the other day, which, I, I mean, I, I keep in touch with devotees through it, so hopefully it's not totally Maya. I, I mainly keep in touch with devotees. I was reading how Girish Swami was appreciating Satswara Maharaj. And he wrote a nice glorification of Satswara Maharaj on his Vyasa Puja day. And he was saying how Maharaj, you this to me, and we had this experience together. And although we haven't seen each other in so many years now, I still remember this. And it was very, very sweet. And it was all revolving on Prabhupada and Krishna and Bhakti. And having met Girish Swami, I just know that's what he's like. Those, those are the magnets of his life. Prabhupada, Krishna, and Bhakti. So he sees everybody in that way, and then hearing from him about another devotee is going to be krishna Kata. And I could feel the love in that. You know, I could feel the affection for a god sibling. And I thought, this is how we actually have to deal with devotees. This deep, grab- he was talking about events from 40 or 50 years ago, and how he remembers them with so much gratitude about what Maharaj did. And I was thinking, this is devotional service. This is what I should be like. If I could actually have that kind of gratitude towards devotees. I would be really pleasing to Krishna. And uh, that's that's what's fantastic. It's a fantastic example. Whether you have the association of a Paramahansa, like your ashtami, or just a more advanced sadhaka it is, also very important to see how they express affection, and then uh, let that shape us. One thing that really reassures me is that the more advanced a devotee is, the more affectionate they are, actually. The more they become free to actually express affection. I've never felt so much love in my life as I, as I do from advanced devotees. You know that just just looking at you, a devotee can make you feel so appreciated uh, because they actually they actually can see how you're connected to Krishna. They actually see your potential and treat you as if you are a pure devotee already. So many experiences I've had, um, and it's it's very reassuring. It's not actually not a sterile existence. It's not like a, it's not a loss. You don't lose anything becoming a pure devotee. You become more affectionate, more more able to help others and, and deal with them. So, that's my, my own realization on that. And we'll finish with Bhakti Mank. I just had one reflection I wanted to say. You mentioned earlier that uh, the
2: duteous householder, once they make their food, they'll go out and offer it to anyone just to feed them. And there was a pastime that Dina Bandhu, Guru, illuminated about Prabhupada where most of the young people who first came to his movement were the hippies, that they came to him for his lunch they were hungry and they heard, okay, there's this Swami who feeds people and Prabhupada fed all of them and didn't even complain about washing their dishes. So he fed all these town fools and was very happy and content to do that and to give them prasadam and to
0: sort of change their consciousness in that way. So I was just reflecting on that and I think that was a really good point you made. Yeah, that's the next level. If you offer your food to Krishna and distribute it thinking, aha, now they're becoming connected to Krishna. That's not even the mode of goodness. That's transcendental. That'll take you to Golo Vrindavan if, if you meditate on that. I mean, one of the first services I did coming to Krishna Consciousness was Sura Prasadam, because we have a little preaching center, and I was like an up-and-coming guest, which meant that I was serving the newer guests. And I was also getting preached to about the power of Krishna Prasadam and I'm tasting it myself. And I remember getting such relish seeing these persons coming in off the street who were like three weeks less advanced than me. But they're taking prasad for the first time, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is going to be great for them. I just like, I could feel their advancement. And it's a, uh, it's a wonder, it's a transcendental experience. It's a transcendental experience. Learning prasadam is a great art, actually. It's a great art. Um, yeah, Bhaktivedya Purnamaraj talks about how the culture in, in, in Vaishnavism is actually the more advanced the devotee is, the more qualified they actually are to serve prasadam. Traditionally, like, sannyasis would serve prasadam. You know, the more advanced the senior devotee is, they actually know, like, how to actually approach you, give you the time to eat, but also come back and serve you in seconds, and they have deep appreciation for prasadam as Krishna's remnants, not like a food product. So it's actually a deep, very, very deep thing. It's a very deep kind of uh, service to Krishna to serve prasadam. Prabhupada, I can only imagine how he felt in New York, purifying these people in the battle with his his own love for Guru and Krishna. (laughs) If I could taste that. Also, touching on that point that you made about how serving prasadam was a great art, the consciousness of the server is also transmitted. Definitely. Which That's is why we would have the more advanced abilities. Yes. One point, as somebody who organizes the Sunday Feast, I try to make sure that my servers know that they're going to have a plate for themselves. Because if you're being served by somebody who is worried, consciously or unconsciously, you're going to get that nice prep, the current subject, yeah, it, just, it just ruins everything. They've got to be there for you. And for Krishna, and if someone's able to do that, you can feel it. That's that's our goal with the service: is to make people feel like they are—they're actually, you know, they're actually with Krishna, and we're all just trying to facilitate that. That's that's an experience they can't forget. Hare Krishna.